Broadcasting from Duxu Village on Jeju Island, this is the Korea File, a weekly podcast about music, culture, and society from around the peninsula. I'm Andre Goulet. On this episode, Matt Van Volkenberg is an independent researcher on Korean urban space, cyberspace, film, and current events. His prolific blog, Gusts of Popular Feeling, celebrates its 10th anniversary this month. In the first of a three-part conversation, Matt talks about the evolution of his writing and discusses a people's history of social movements in South Korea. You have been blogging for a decade or more. Um, You have two blogs, The Long-Running Gusts of Popular Feeling. And how many years? That's going to be 10 years this month, actually. Yeah. And the second one? The one that you were doing that has been sort of off for the last couple well, of years? Well, when we first started, I mean, I was reading all the different Korea blogs and occasionally commenting, and my friend Jamie Doucette, uh, he was... Well, he wasn't here yet. He was doing his master's uh, in human geography, and especially looking at labor relations in Korea and migrant workers. And Human and geography refers to, like, the economics of people? Or how they like, have movement of people and, you know... and. Uh, he, uh, when I was first teaching here, he was here as well. And uh, so we went to a number of protests with migrant workers. And so he was writing about that. And uh, he suggested, why don't, why don't we start a blog? And you could, I can write about South Korea, you can write about North Korea. The blog was Beyond the Minjung, Focus on Movements, Politics, and Social Space. Or it was really just originally just called Two Koreas. Okay. Um, Jamie added that later. The two Koreas is referring to? North and South, I guess. That was the original idea, but I soon realized I didn't really know much about North Korea. So, I mean, I was interested in it, but I'm like, why? I mean, I'm just pointing to stuff written by Andrei Lankov (laughs) or uh, Barbara Demick, and this is just dumb. So So you focus on, okay, movements, politics, and social space. What what does social space mean? Um, Well... I'm not entirely sure how Jamie was defining it. Um, certainly, the, I mean, I did a number of posts later just on um, sort of, yeah, the social spaces in which protests take place, and I did a number of posts on how uh, the area in front of uh, Seoul City Hall uh, has historically been this place of protest, and so that's sort of an example uh-huh. of that. Okay, so the urban space where people come to... Uh, come together, have protests can be like community and stuff like that. What is what is the minjung? What does that mean? Uh, the minjung, yeah. um, that's basically a, uh, a concept originally developed by Shin Chae-ho, who's the father of Korean historiography. Um, I have a nationalist his modern historiography, and he was the one who took the idea of minjok, sort of the one race, and basically Korean history and applied the idea of the, the Jokpo, the, uh, the family tree, and told Korean history sort of through all these heroes, all going back to Tangun, and Tangun was just kind of becoming popular again around the turn of the century, and so he's the one who kind of linked the Korean nation back to Tangun. And, but then what's interesting, so he's, he's the father of this very nationalist idea, and then he became more radical, and he, he was completely uncompromising. He would, he, as soon as Japan took over, he left Korea. He's like, I'm not going to live here if Japan's running it. And he was just dedicated his life. And so as time went on, he became more radical. He eventually became an, an anarchist, which is 
interesting since he was a nationalist and they would seem to not really go together. But um, a lot of the, the anarchists during the colonial era were more about, you know, we need to overthrow the Japanese so we can have our own country. And like, that's not quite, you know. But a lot of the time, it was sort of who people knew and who they were influenced by. So if people had certain friends they went to university with and some of, some, some of them were communists, they would become communists. And some of them were anarchists, they would become anarchists. And there were a lot of these ties between people. And um, the uh, Shin Chae Ho knew a, a Chinese anarchist, and I, I can't remember his name, but he got influenced by that. And he wrote the manifesto for, uh, uh, I think it was Wielt Dan, the, uh, the sort of terrorist organization, and um, about, you know, we have to uh, attack the Japanese thieves who have stolen our country. And, and so as this went on, he developed the idea of Minjung, which was essentially the, instead of just the nation as a whole, he recognized that the upper classes in Korea were very much a part of the problem, that they were just being slavish to the Japanese and were happily, essentially, uh, collaborating. So it's so this was class, uh, the introduction of class consciousness? Essentially. Um, and in the blog title, you're talking about going beyond class consciousness to find the next <laughs> level, in, in theory. <laughs> I guess. That's the thing. That Jamie added this much later. Okay. So by that point, <laughs> I, I was occasionally contributing stuff but not by it's, that point it was kind of his blog it's so. nice it captures the imagination mm. so your academic focus is Korean studies yes you're going on to do that in a grad a master's program yeah where are you going to be studying uh, I'll be studying at the University of Washington in Seattle come okay. in the fall and this is uh, after an incubation period of how many years in Korea uh, 14 now so. did you show up being as fascinated with Korean history as you would become or did it surprise you that you got to that point? Um, I don't think it, it didn't really surprise me. I mean, anywhere I go, I always would look at the history. You know, a lot of people go to Thailand and go to the beach. I went to, you know, old abandoned cities and temples and museums. And uh, I just like learning about the history of wherever. Mm. Um, so, I mean, before I came to Korea, I did not know that much about it. I, I had a Korean-Canadian friend who... Uh, you know, invited me over for uh, uh, kimbap and daejeonguk and uh, kimchi, and and uh, uh, was you know very used to that. And, and otherwise, remembered mash and the uh, '88 Olympics. Otherwise, I didn't know much, but I was like, oh, you know, I'd been traveling around a bit and was kind of bored being back home. And my friend said, oh, you want to come teach here, do what I'm doing? And I'm like, yeah, that sounds interesting. Every country's fascinating. But is there something special about Korea? Something special about what's happened, what continues to be happening with Korean people and with Korean society? Well, I just... I mean, Korea's a fascinating place because so much happened in such a short time. And, I mean, lots of countries have experienced that as well, but few have gone from uh, a feudal, you know, uh, very economically depressed... Uh, country that was then, you know, colonial, colonially taken over by its neighbor and then went through several wars during that entire period and then modernized to the point where, I mean, and, and this modern, most recent modernization of sort of the culture uh, becoming really popular, even with, well, its sigh around the world, um, is that's just within the time I've been living here and, and it's, it's, you could see like the tourist organizations and trying to push this K-pop stuff for a long time 
and saying, yeah, it's really popular in America. It's like, no, it's not. <laughs> but it has become. And now, you know, especially Chinese people, Vietnamese, you know, all over East Asia, other places, they're like, Korea is really cool. It's a cool place to be. And like, these uh, students I study Korean with are, are all like, you know, they're really interested in being here. What will you focus on when you begin your studies? Um, well, I still haven't entirely decided, but uh, one project I've been looking at a bit over the past uh, few years uh, was the illegalization of marijuana in the 1970s and uh, sort of the misperceptions of that uh, and misperceptions of uh, sort of marijuana use in Korea traditionally and, and how the government used it to basically wipe out the counterculture in the I want to talk with you about movements in Korean society, movement, like political movements, uh, but not really about contemporary stuff. I mean, right now <clears throat> there's an occupation happening at Gwangwamun uh, with the Sewol Truth Movement and you, you don't really want to comment on that or you don't. You say you don't really have strong opinions. Um, so could we talk a bit about the post-colonial era up until maybe the 90s, uh, that period of time when Korea was post-war, post-occupation, um, but working towards the post-military era. What can you tell me about movement politics in that period? I'm familiar enough with sort of the vague outline uh, and like the big, the big moments where uh, I think especially like the, the 50s were very sort of quiescent, the... Uh, Yisung Man ran a really tight ship and it was incredibly corrupt and incredibly violent and um, especially if you look at um, there's an excellent book called Japan Diary by uh, Mark Gain who was a, a Russian I guess he was a Russian American he, he later became I think Canadian and he wrote for the Toronto Star he was the political uh, uh, editor there uh, for uh, a, a long time but in 1946 1945, 46, 47, he was in Japan and he was writing about what was happening there. And then he spent about three or four weeks in Korea in 1946. And just what the way he described it, it's just kind of horrifying. Um, just the, the corruption, the violence, uh, the use of youth groups by a lot of the right-wingers to to just uh, shut down protest, um, basically acting as almost paramilitaries, um, you know, dragging people into police stations where the police would beat them and just, you know, he's like, um, so who brought this person in? I, I saw some guys out there. Like, no, 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 no. What are you talking about? There's no such guy. And he's like, he, he's right there. And like, just, they'd wave him off. And, and so, you know, you just get this picture of uh, a great deal of, of the political violence and and that continued throughout Yisung Man's uh, period uh, of reign and and then in 1960s overthrown so you have the, the May 19th movement and uh, uh, led by uh, students and professors and even you know uh, elementary school kids were protesting and um, because initially the Yusuman especially was using the police as instruments of power, and as the Americans had in the immediate post-war era. Um, the the police, of course, had been a lot of them were formerly Japanese trained police, and uh, were you know quite brutal. 
Um, the army, the constabulary, when it was started under the Americans, was often being infiltrated by communists and was seen as being very uh, much less trustworthy initially. Of course, that changed throughout the, the Korean War. And, uh, so in 1960, it was the police who were guarding uh, the presidential mansion and uh, fired on protesters and killed about 100 of them. And that's when like people kind of came out into the streets. And then eventually it was too much, so Lee Seung-man ordered in the army. Army sided with the people. And so that kind of put an end to that, essentially. And that led to that first revolutionary period almost before the coup, the first coup. Um, what was that period like? How long did it last? It lasted for about a year. They changed the constitution, so as far as I remember, that the, uh, the prime minister had more power. And um, uh, Chang Myun, who was uh, American-educated, uh, was known as John Chang. Uh, had a, I think he was Catholic. Um, though a lot of people were criticizing, you know, because it, just, it was very chaotic and, you know, they're trying to start something new, but uh, that's never easy. And some people wanted easier answers, including Park Chung-hee. So he, he struck in... 61. Uh, May 16th, 1961, the uh, glorious revolution began. And uh, he, you know, uh, basically ran the country as a dictatorship under military rule for two years, then quit the presidency, ran for election, was elected. And uh, initially it was to be for, I believe it was for one term, but then he kept changing the constitution. But, uh, you know, one of the really unpopular things he did was to normalize relations with Japan. And there were huge protests uh, against that in which he, you know, had uh, troops brought into downtown Seoul to uh, control it. And uh, among some of the people who were arrested was a, a, a head of the student association at Korea University, uh, Im Yong-bak, who served a certain amount of time in prison. So I think it was actually because he couldn't get a, a, a normal good job that he went into Hyundai construction. Oh. So, yeah. Um, so so a, ca a casual observer of Korean history might think of everything happening between 1961 and 1997 when Kim Young-sam got elected, right? But in fact, there was probably a lot more going on in that 35 years in terms of uh, maybe labor protest, um, stuff like that. So what protest was happening underneath the veneer of a military dictatorship? Well, I mean, yeah, you had those ones. Those were like some of the big ones uh, in uh, 64 leading up to the normalization. Um, at the same time, you had, I mean, the 60s, Park Chung-hee wasn't quite as dictatorial as he was going to become. I mean, by the, the once he was elected. Um, though at the same time, I mean, he, he kidnapped, uh, uh, especially Korean students who were studying in West Berlin uh, and in Germany, who I think some of them, I'm not sure, like, he, was it? Yuni um, Sang, the, the uh, musician, um, composer. I don't know if it was actually before he was kidnapped or after that he went to uh, Pyongyang. I think it was actually after, but they, they were, whether correctly or falsely accused or not, uh, he basically just sent agents, KCI agents, to Germany and kidnapped them and brought them home. And uh, this did not make West Germany very happy. Oh, and of course they did that to Kim Dae-jung as well after right. the, um, Yushin came into uh, 
effect. Okay. But um, it, one of the or it, one of the the big sort of moments uh, for uh, labor rights was um, the self-immolation of Chandayil in 1970. Because he had been working in the sweatshops in uh, Dongnimun, uh, Pyeonghwa, Xijiang. Uh, they were uh, making clothing and, you know, they worked incredibly long hours. And I mean, if it wasn't for the, um, the curfew, uh, they probably would have been working even longer. But they, they had to send them home. Um, so eventually he, he found out about the labor law. Of course, he never, he'd wanted to go to school, but he wasn't able to. So um, he... Uh, basically found reference books of course the, the labor laws, any laws at the time were written in Hanja so he couldn't read them but there, he found reference books and was able to understand it and then kind of formed a labor union and tried to convince you know, the people he was working with that they had rights and, and then he was fired so he went away for a while and decided to go back and tried to organize another one and actually managed to get the attention of uh, several newspapers. Like the, I know at least the Kyunghyang Shinmun and the Dong Ilbo wrote articles about, you know, just how terrible conditions were in uh, these uh, sweatshops. And so he thought, you know, yes. And then promises were made, nothing happened. So during a protest, he told his friends he was going to set the um, uh, labor law book on fire, but he also uh, poured gasoline all over himself and set himself on fire. And that, while that had happened, certainly like Vietnam, during the Vietnam War, the, the Buddhist monks uh, uh, were, were doing that. There's those famous images that had never happened in Korea, and people were incredibly shocked. And then, you know, immediately Kim Dae-jung uh, kind of said, right, he was running for the president, presidency against uh, uh, Park Jung-hee the next year. And uh, he said, no, you know, labor law, that we're going to make that part of our platform. And so... After that, it also radicalized his sister and his mother, who became labor activists. Um, his sister eventually went to study um, like labor sociology in England and uh, it translated his uh, autobiography, or sorry, his biography, and uh, and basically, you know, started organized. This is sort of what set off the the labor union movement, and it was initially among mostly among young women. And uh, there was a great deal of uh, violence brought to bear against them. There's you know, famous photos of women with, with feces smeared all over them. And uh, eventually that came to a, a head in 1979 when uh, a bunch of women working for this YH company. I can't remember if it was a wig company. or, But anyways, it was uh, run by I think, Korean Americans. And they were agitating for labor rights and uh, improvement of working conditions and so basically eventually their employers got sick of it and just pulled out so they lost their jobs so the uh, new democratic party basically uh, under Kim Jong-sam basically said oh okay we will uh, we'll sort of support you so they held a a sit-in in in the uh, new democratic party headquarters which then in August of that year of uh, 1979 uh, they sent in about a thousand police and uh, one girl jumped to her death and um, you know they arrested Kim Young-sam and then decided to boot him out of the National Assembly as punishment and then in his hometown of Busan protests broke out which then wasn't just students also workers and just normal people joined in which was unprecedented so they sent in special forces troops the I mean they were 
violent, but uh, a very small number of people died. And it was only a couple of years ago uh, that I found an article actually confirming for the first time, like, oh, this person didn't just die of something else, he was actually killed by police. But there are probably more, but it's not. Fast forward to 87, 88, when the Olympics are happening, and this was the beginning of the end for the military era in in South Korea. Um, What was the biggest trigger that led to the sort of the choice to dissolve uh, a military government from the military government at that time? Well, I think just the fact that people were in the streets, and initially, Chundu won. And actually, if I just go back for a second to, um, you know, this uh, Kim Jong-sam being booted out, these, uh, the National Assembly, these protests break out. It was an argument over how to deal with the protests during which uh, Kim Jae-gyu murdered Park Chung-hee. And then the person investigating the murder was Chun Doo-won and had his coup d'etat. And so that's how the Fifth Republic begins and uh, basically cemented in with uh, the Gwangju uprising, uh, putting it down. And um, so Chun Doo-won made himself president. Um, and I think he had planned to just be in for the one seven-year reign, the one... It was a seven-year period for presidencies back then. Well, I mean, that's how he designed it. I mean, Park Chung-hee um, had done, uh, under the Constitution uh, in 1963 when he was elected, it was four years. So, and I can't remember if he was just supposed to be for one or if he extended it to two anyways. It was when he extended it to the third that people were really kind of protesting. And then when he... You know, he just beat Kim Dae-jung. That's when he put the Yushin Constitution in, which made him president for life, uh, which Kim Jae-gyu ended. (laughs) That's pithy, yeah. And then, so, uh, Chun Doo-won stuck around. His buddy Ro Tae-woo, is that that his name? Yeah. He came and sort of continued the legacy. Uh, He oversaw the 88 Olympics. His legacy ended sort of naturally or was there that social push uh, from the people that knocked him out? Well, I mean, No Tseu, basically, Chun Doo-won was, was, had chosen No Tseu, handpicked him as his successor, and he was just going to be made president. There wasn't going to be an election. And, uh, and of course, that's, that's what led to the, the 1987 June democracy protests, in which that's when, you know, finally the middle class came out and, you know, they realized... And the big thing was the Olympics. They didn't want to jeopardize the Olympics. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it would have been very easy to just send troops out, but they kind of realized we can't really do this. So what they did instead, uh, which was much smarter, was No Tae-woo instead basically took the platforms of Kim Dae-jung and Kim Jong-sam to a, to a certain degree uh, to basically steal their fire. Mm-hmm. And then still, he would have been beaten had just one of the Kims ran, but of course... This is the election where each of them garnered, like, about 30% of the vote, but the winner yeah. got, like, 35. Yeah. yeah. And so that's how No Tae-yoo came to power. Are you still interested in Korean politics? Because you didn't really want to... Talking about Korean social movements right now, or social movements over the last five years, maybe you don't have, like, that deep of uh, knowledge or an interest, but I'm wondering, <coughs> do you, like, do you still follow it? Are you still interested, or... Have you kind of put it aside a little bit in terms of what's happening right now in contemporary movements? Um, yeah, I haven't. I just have been busy. I haven't really 
had time to uh, to read the news as much. Was it busy or was it burnout? Like, is, have you become cynical? Have you sort of stopped being engaged, or is it just that life took over? Yeah, basically, just life took okay. over in many ways. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, um, no, I don't think I, it's mostly just being busy. I would still be writing if uh, I had the time. Um, I, I always find my I don't know, my interest gets peaked in different things like the I don't know how much I've ever really paid a, a huge amount of attention to politics in general I don't think that's ever really been my thing like when I got interested in the English teacher thing then I was looking at sort of those policies and and related to that specific topic or when the Matt Cow protests began in 19 or sorry in 2008 like I was just okay this is really interesting it's, it's, it's happening now and uh, I wanted to know how it started and so um, but a lot of the time it's just something in particular will pique my interest but uh, I, I really wouldn't say I'm a like a political yeah, political junkie exactly. or, uh, right. yeah that's the career file for this week you can find new episodes up every Wednesday on iTunes and Stitcher and as a feature contributor at blogtalkradio.org you can find Matt's online work at populargusts.blogspot.kr. Tune in next week for more with Van Volkenberg on Korean purity, identity, and character, and the notion of Korea as an unfinished country. From Duxu Village on Jeju Island, I'm Andre Goulet. Goody.